As I said, we are in a new series, and it's uh, the series found in 1 Kings chapter 17 all the way to chapter 19. It's not a lot of scripture. It's a very short section of scripture, and it's the story and life of Elijah. Elijah is a 9th century prophet, and he has been called on by God to speak to a generation that has lost its way. And so we're exploring what we can learn from the life of Elijah. Last week, we learned that Elijah was asked to lean on a woman, a widow, who had nothing. And it was a story of learning how to transform a mentality of scarcity to a mentality of generosity. And what that looks like as we grow deeper in our faith, we're following Elijah's lead. This morning, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the story of Elijah. It's in 1 Kings chapter 17. Really, this, the, the passage of scripture I'm reading is one verse. So you would, you would think it's going to be a really short message. But it is absolutely amazing how much you can say about one verse. Or not say about one verse, but say it anyway. So I will try to um, find a place in the middle. But the story is, you actually like that, Peter. The, the story is a story of Elijah's calling. This is the beginning. And, and the beginning of a Christian's pursuit of God begins with a calling. And so we have to understand this idea of what does it mean to be called by God. Now, here's a huge disclaimer at the beginning of this message. I am not going to tell you what to do with your life. Sorry, I'm not going to do it. Nor am I going to um, identify like several options. Here could be, this could be your calling, or this could be your calling, or this could be your calling. I'm going to talk generally about God calling into you, calling, a calling on your life, I should say, that is more specific to all of us and what that might look like as we continue to pursue God. What does a calling look like from a general perspective for a believer today? In 1 Kings chapter 17, it simply says this. Elijah the Tishbite, who was, he was a settler from Gilead. And it simply says that he says to Ahab, so we can assume that Gilead from, Elijah from Gilead travels to Jezreel, which is in Israel, in the northern part of Israel, where King Ahab lived, to his palace, and says to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these three years, except by my word. And then God calls him to go find a brook into the valley and wait. And he's going to wait for three years until the drought's over. So all we know is that Elijah is from Gilead. His name is Elijah the Tishbite. And he goes to Ahab. We don't have the conversation in front of us of what it might have been like for God to, to, to interact with Elijah and call him to this special purpose. We don't know anything about that. We can make some assumptions. But we really don't know. All we see is Elijah gets up and goes and does what he believes God has called him to do. 
And what I want to say and suggest this morning is it begins with a yes. That's all it begins with. Yes, God. It's learning to say yes to God when God calls, you, calls, your, calls on you in life for whatever reason. I don't know what God's going to call you to. I don't know what you're saying yes to, but you're saying yes to God. Let me talk about legacy for a minute. I went to a memorial service um, yesterday down in Orange County. So one of my closest, closest friends in life is J.P. Jones, who's the pastor of Crossline. Planted this church about, oh, about 18 plus years ago, a little bit ahead of us. And I've known J.P. since I was in college. And we were involved with crew together. And um, uh, we worked together in a church and um, have spent years and years dialoguing and um, supporting and praying for one another as pastors, as friends, as brothers, and spent lots of time. Well, his father-in-law passed away, um, Donna's um, dad, which is Taylor Jones's grandfather. And I knew Coach Don Riley. I had the privilege of meeting him several times and interacting with him. And as I drove away from this about two-hour memorial service at their church where there were college football players from UCLA that had now grown and some of them 60 plus years old. I was sitting next to this group of gigantic guys that were obviously football players back in the day uh, that, that Coach Riley coached and had an influence. It was during the Terry Donahue era and it was a very successful, very successful coaching career. There was a, another member of the UCLA coaching staff there and all the family and friends, and it was a packed audience that came together to remember this man's life. He, he was a legend, and he was bigger than life. He really was. He was always in coaching mode. That's what I loved about uh, Don. And uh, as I sat and listened and then drive, drove away think, thought, thinking about it, uh, I was thinking about his life and his impact over his kids, over players, over so many people. Um, and what I heard over and over and over again is that Coach Don was a mentor, a father, a father figure to a lot of young men, and not only in athletics, but also in life. Even the coaches and others he was a coach who coached people in life. God had come into his life at a young age in Lynch, Kentucky. He was, um, it was a coal mining community. His father was a coal miner. And he walked forward one Sunday or one day when the preacher was preaching and the church was filled with people. And he walked forward and he said, I want to get saved. And he said yes to God. And it began a journey of faith in his life that continued on through his coaching career at UCLA where he had the opportunity to impact many, many people, not only in athletics, but in spiritual life. And I was so moved by hearing the whole story of his life. It really touched me, thinking about what kind of a legacy do I want to live? I'm not a football coach. You're not a football coach. Maybe some of you are. 
Maybe some of you help coach. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're just, maybe you're just focused right now on being a great mom. And you want to mother your kids like what Abby's doing. What an what a honorable way to invest your life, to impact young people for the next generation. That's what God's called you to do. A dad, same thing. Maybe you own a business and you have people who work for you. I don't know what you do, but I do know this. It begins with a yes, and God turns what you do into a legacy. And I think we're going to learn something about Elijah's life through this process that began like Coach Don Riley when he walked forward and said yes to God. In 2 Corinthians, a very interesting passage. It's, it's quite confusing. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, this is what it says. This is what we preach, Paul says. Paul's telling the Corinthian church. Here's what we preach. God's yes and our yes together. God's yes and our yes. What's he, what, what does he mean? What is, what's he talking about? Gloriously evident. They are gloriously evident. The, the togetherness of our yes with God's yes. What's he talking about? God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ. That's his yes. God wants to affirm you this morning that you are one with Christ, putting his yes within us. In other words, God's yes in your life this morning is that he has chosen you from the foundation of the world to know him. And that's his yes. And then we say yes to that yes. Guess what we're doing? We're joining him in the process. But you got to say yes. At some point in your life, you've got to say yes to God's yes. And when you say yes to God's yes, you are now in a place by his spirit. He stamps with us his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete in you. And all I know about calling is this. God wants to complete his work in your life when you say yes to him. And all you have to do is say yes. God, here's my life. Coach Don did that, and the rest of his life, he left behind an incredible legacy that so many, and I remember, I remember seeing him. We'd go over to the house, and, and as a pastor with JP, he'd come over and shake my hand, and hello, pastor, and encourage me, and with a, co with a coach's handshake, and he'd always have a coaching word for me. And I'd walk away thinking, that man believes in me. I'm going to keep doing what I do. And those moments of, of being inspired by a coach kept me going through that er those early years of transition from commercial real estate into full-time ministry. He used his coaching passion and skills to coach men in life. Elijah used his skills and talents to serve God in his generation. And God is calling on us to do the very same thing. And it begins with a yes. In 1 Kings chapter 17, all it says is he goes to Ahab. So he must have been called. God must have told him the plan. God must have said, Elijah, I need you. And I need you to go to Ahab. I have no one else to look to. This is a unique task and it's right for you. 
I don't know what the unique task is for you. And frankly, most prophets in the Old Testament were very reluctant. He's reticent. He's kind of quiet. He's like off in this, in Gilead, in this corner of Israel, tending to his olive garden and his sheep. And he's got a good life. I mean, we have a good life. The last thing we need to do is be called into service like a prophet where we're going to be thrown into ditches or a pit, put in stocks, uh, criticized for what we say. I mean, it's not easy to be a, was, it was not easy to be a prophet in the Old Testament. In fact, these guys suffered tremendously. Jeremiah preached for 40 years and no one listened. I mean, could you imagine that? Week after week after week, we go into we go into our greeting time and nobody ever turns around and I just start preaching and nobody's listening. And for 40 years that happens. And it's like, well, God's called me to do that. And God's called people to not listen. I mean, that's that's kind of a setup for a for what I would consider to be a really rough calling. I would hope my calling's a lot better than that for you and for me. And yet we have to recognize the fact that what I am learning is several things about a calling. First of all, it's not easy. I mean, reluctance is okay because, you know, Isaiah is about the only eager beaver in all the Old Testament. Like, here I am, Lord, send me. Jonah ran the other direction. He got on a ship and sailed the exact opposite direction. How about that? And God turned the ship around, threw him in the had him swallowed up by a whale and spit out on Nineveh to go preach the gospel to Nineveh. He didn't even want to do that. And he was angry even after he accomplished it. And said, I would rather die than these enemies of mine receiving the good news of God's love. I mean, how about that? I mean, so pretty, that's pretty interesting. Jeremiah, he was, you know, he wasn't sure of his career. And he said, I... He needed convincing. God said, well, before the foundation of the world, I formed. Okay, I got it. I think I got it now. It goes way back. I think I probably should carry on. I mean, so these individuals need a lot of convincing because it's not easy what God is calling us to do. The second thing I have learned is that God is a hound dog. He really is. He's on it. He is going to find us. I mean, Elijah was on the corner of Israel. And he was keeping his mouth shut. There's no way in the world he was going to step into what was going on. The rest of the prophets, it says that Jezreel, Jezebel, the queen of, the, of, of Israel, was actually killing the prophets of God. He was, she was slaughtering the prophets, and she was bringing in her own prophets to bring a different influence, a religious influence into the culture. And she was trying to eliminate the voice of God in, in, their, in, their, in their country. Sure sounds like today, doesn't it? The silencing of the voice of God as the other voices are triumphing over it. And and the rest of the prophets are in hiding and Elijah's in the corner of Israel going, I gotta, I'm fine right over here. And yet God called him. The other thing that I have learned is um, you will never deepen in your spiritual relationship with God until you say yes to his call in your life. I think this is where it begins. I think for many of us, we have, we have kind of 
found our Gilead and we have settled in to a very comfortable lifestyle and we're not growing. And we're wondering, why am I not growing spiritually? Why am I getting closer to the Lord? How is my relationship different this year than it was last year? What areas is God growing me in? What evidence is God producing more love, more compassion, more desire, whatever? Well, have you responded to his call in, in, in your life? And, and so we, we begin here. And so I, I just have really two things to say this morning. One is, what is a call and how do we find our call, generally speaking? And a call is simply twofold. This is what I come up with in this kind of learning from the Old Testament and the life of Elijah. A call is essentially this. It's speaking on behalf of God to our generation, telling, retelling, and living the redemptive story for others. That's what a calling is. Generally speaking, it's just telling, retelling, and living the redemptive story of Christ through your life for the benefit of other people. That's what God calls, has called us to. That's what Ahab did, or Elijah did in front of Ahab. He told the redemptive story of God's grace of trying to turn people back to God through this announcement that there's going to be a drought because people need to wake up and recognize the correlation between no rain and no spiritual life. And if you want spiritual life and rain, you're going to have to turn back to God. And in his generation, that was his message. That was his call. That's what he was called to do. And I think there's a lot of similarity to a call today. That's the call that God has for us in a very possibly unique way through your life. I'm not expecting you to become a prophet, but I'm most certainly challenging you to think more critically about the role that you play and the things that God has given you to do with this idea of a general call, a call to speak on behalf of God. I would say also we are witnesses to the unshakable kingdom of God that will last for eternity. The unshakable, unshakable kingdom of God that will last for eternity. And we're just simply witnesses of that through our lives. And I would say this. It's not, it's not so important what you do. I think it's more important that you are grateful that God has chosen you to serve him. We often put it like, oh, Bob, this is a big, you're asking a lot here, Lord. You're asking me to step out. You're asking me to give my life to you. You know, this is huge. And we almost put it on God as though like, this is a lot for me to do. I hope you're happy with me. When what I see in it is the exact opposite. This is an incredible honor. We should feel grateful that God has called us worthy to serve him. And I suspect Ahab, Elijah learned that. And so, first of all, it's speaking on behalf of God, but I'm going to give you a second part of a calling. And I believe this is really important. We often miss this. The other half of a calling, I think, is a calling to be with God. God never expects you to do something without him. 
If you notice in the story, Ahab didn't do a whole lot. He goes to Ahab, tells him there won't be rain, three and a half years, goes back and tells Ahab, rain's coming again, calls the prophets of Baal up to the top of Mount Carmel, slays them there. There's this great moment of dedication back to God for Israel. And then he runs into the valley and suffers this great depression because Jezebel wants to kill him. And then God shows up and whispers in his ear. And that's the story of Elijah. I mean, there's not a lot there. It's not like all these certain tasks. It wasn't so much about the task as it was about the presence. The role is as important as the relationship. And we learn that at the end of the story in 1 Kings chapter 9, when Elijah finally meets God and he quiets down and the work is done and the nation has been turned back to God and he's suffering this deep despair and depression because he feels like his life is over because one woman wants to kill him. It's incredible to me that a guy who can slay 850 prophets of Baal with a sword on top of Mount Carmel will run for his life because one woman is angry at him. And, and he runs into despair and he wants to die. He is so depressed. His life is over as he sees it. And then God has to shake him up. There's an earthquake, there's a fire, and there's a wind. And he is now shaken from the, the, the cave that he's in and then God quiets down and he whispers. It's a whisper. We're going to talk about that. The whisper of God is, and, and all God wanted Elijah to understand was, Elijah, I've been with you the whole time. A calling is about what you do for me, but it's also about me empowering you by being present in your life. And we need to learn both. To stay present with the Lord is to understand the biblical understanding of a calling, the presence, the whisper of God. And God will quiet us sometimes and settle us and get us to that one place. Now, let me uh, quickly give you three things. So what do I do? How do we respond? What do we do with something? I'm 60 years old. I'm way past finding my calling. I'm in retirement. I'm, I'm 16. I'm 15. I'm just a young person going through school. Don't ask me about calling. I don't know what I want to do. Maybe, maybe I want to be a dentist. I don't know. Uh, or a doctor. Or a, you know, what do you want to do with your life, young people? Well, you're thinking and praying about that. You're exploring that, right? I mean, but God's telling me I need to have a calling? Yeah, a general calling is that in your generation, young people, you tell, retell, and live out the redemptive story through your life by the way you live. And you learn how to encounter God and hear the whisper of God in your ear, that God wants to be present in your life, and you have those moments, and God can speak to young people. I mean, Joan of Arc is a classic example of a woman in her teens that led the French army into victory, and nobody followed her. And she said, even though no one will follow me into battle, I will go into battle. And she led a decisive, a decisive victory for France over England as a result of a young person hearing the whisper of God. It's a beautiful story. It's worth reading about her life. How in the world 
does a young person get that kind of courage and bravery to do something that profound and put their life on the line and end up finally being tortured and burned alive. And when she was dying and she was being burned alive at a stake, her last words were Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It was the presence of God whispering to her that her life meant something. Though it didn't last long, it was more significant than a full life without God and without calling. So what do we do? Three things. Number one, I think Elijah did these three things. First of all, he focused on becoming the right person. That's what he did. He focused on becoming the person that God wanted him to become. Two ways. In 1 Kings chapter 19, 9 to 10, he says in this this interesting dialogue at one point, he says, I am zealous for the Lord. Elijah says that he's zealous for the Lord. To be a zealot is to be a fanatic about something. Wholehearted living. I'm all in. I am so fanatical about this. And what it literally means is that you are eliminating the substitutes in your life. You have boiled life down to one loyalty. I am loyal to God. I am a zealot for God. I am jealous for the Lord. I mean, I'm wholehearted. I'm all in. And I think Elijah worked at that. I think Elijah had that kind of a life because he didn't buy in to Baal worship. He wasn't living a life of idolatry when God came to him. He had a clear focus that he wanted to be jealous for God in the midst of a generation that had abandoned this and were no longer wholehearted. The second thing I noticed how he became a person of God is in 1 Kings 19.36. And here it is. It says, I am your servant. He learned to be a servant of God, wholehearted and servant. And we know from, from, the, from the Gospels, Jesus was a servant, Mark 10, 45, right? I mean, he didn't come to be served, but what? To serve. And in John 11, he picks up the towel and washes his disciples' feet in demonstration of, of tremendous humility. And what Jesus was saying in that moment was this. There's nothing below a servant. There is nothing below a servant. In other words, God, what would you have me do? Lord, what do you need? To get to a point where your yes is, Lord, here I am. What would you have me do in any moment? I mean, that is a profound, a profound conversion of will. And, and so he focused on becoming the right person. The second thing is he learned to listen to God. See, I think by the time we get to 1 Kings 19 and God speaks in the whisper he has already been trained because he knew to listen for the voice of God. That he had listened over and over. He was, he was speaking to God and God was speaking to him as he reflected on all the things that God had done prior to that. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God calls Joshua to lead the armies into Israel, right? That's the story of Joshua. And he says... Joshua, 
The only way you are going to be able to accomplish your calling in my life and lead the people in Israel is if you listen to me. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you'll be careful to do according to all that I've written, and then you will have success. In other words, the voice of God is listening to the word of God. And that is true for the day. That the greater our ability to hear God speak through his word, the clearer we will be in discerning the voice of God as he calls us. And so begin in the word, study the word, find a section. This is a massive text. Where am I going to start? Start the Gospel of John. And, and, and take a journal out and begin writing as God speaks to you through his word. God always speaks through his word. It's a living word. Hebrews 4.12, active and sharp in the ninny two-edged sword. He's speaking through his word. I'll give you an example. But take out in a journal and write two questions. God, what are you saying about yourself? And God, what are you specifically telling me to do or, or speaking to me about? What are you speaking to me about? But first of all, what are, you what are you teaching me about you? And I guarantee you, you take out a journal and you begin reading. Go read through the Gospel of John. Read a section, whatever section of Scripture you're in. Pick Jeremiah, pick Isaiah, pick 1 Kings, whatever it is, and learn the stories. God will begin teaching you about himself, and then he will transition that to start speaking to you about you and what he what he wants you to know. He will do that. He is faithful. He will speak. I was in my worst, worst place in my ministry many, many years ago, over 20 plus years ago. I was done. I was in a church and um, I was in a bad, bad place and I fell into some great depression. My job had changed. And I didn't know what the future looked like in this particular situation. And I was recovering. And part of it being my own fault of the way in which I managed and handled a team of people that God had given me in this church. I reacted poorly. And so the senior pastor of the church decided it was time for me to take a break. And it was more like a punishment than a break, but I accepted it. And I humbled myself. And I went through this process of basically being reinstituted in the church. It doesn't normally happen in churches, to be honest with you. Most of the time, we just say, go find another church. We're, we're, a, we're a perfect church. And if you're imperfect, you won't fit here. I, I mean, I'm, being, I'm exaggerating, of course. But sadly, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody that's going through something that's come before them and desires to be repentant and restored, it doesn't happen. We don't have the capacity in our church to process people's imperfections. And I needed to learn some things. And I was willing to do that. And thankfully, this church did that. But I fell into great depression and discouragement, and I felt like I was all alone and God had left me. I got to the place of 1 Kings chapter 19, where Elijah got to and felt like, I think it's all over. And I felt like my ministry was over. I was going to step out of ministry. And I pretty much had had it with God. And I wrote in my journal, I don't even think you exist. But then my next words were, but I know you do. 
but I don't want to, I don't want to acknowledge that. That's how angry, depressed, disappointed I was. About halfway through this process, you know, Denise is just praying for me, and the kids are getting involved in school, and, and life is going on. We're, we're not in California. We're out of the state, and it was, uh, it was a tough go, so we didn't have the family support and all that, but um, God spoke to me in the middle of the night. So he woke me up in the middle of the night. It doesn't happen often, but if God wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, go, get up and read or journal, my suggestion is you go do that because that's a, that's, something's going to happen in that moment that's like, you don't want to miss this. Uh, he gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself. Don't trust in your own ways. Acknowledge me in all your ways. I'll make your way straight. And it wasn't so much the verse, the passage. It was the fact that God was speaking. And he woke me up out of this rebellion, depression, discouragement, this funk, this despair, and boom, I heard the voice of God. Changed my direction. I woke up with a sense of purpose, and I believe God had more for me. I didn't give up. And I think God wants to speak to us more often we think, than, than we want to listen. I think we need to train our ears. The third thing is, and finally, it's being willing to stand alone. Be willing to stand alone. And what I mean by that is three times Elijah had to stand alone. He had to stand alone to go tell Ahab there was not going to be rain. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He had to do it again in chapter 18, verse 1, when he went back to Ahab and told him it was going to rain again. And then in chapter 19, after he heard the whisper of God, God says, what are you doing here? He says, what are you doing here? In other words, don't you know by, get up and go. And a third time he says, go, and I want you to go anoint a new king, and I want you to replace yourself with Elisha. I think it takes a person who can stand alone to understand what it means to have a calling from God because groupthink is not the best thing. The way of the crowd is not always the way that's best. And that's pretty much always true. And so we have to have a mind. I remember one of the key lessons I wanted to teach my kids is learn how to stand alone because it's not going to be easy. You've got to be a young person with convictions that can stand alone against the peer pressure, against what other people think, and be willing to do what God has called you to do, not what other people expect you to do. Standing alone brings about a level of conviction and commitment that enables you to stand for his call. So there it is. A call that God wants to, and I don't know specifically your call, and maybe going back to Coach Riley, maybe it is. Using your profession in a way that impacts other people and tell, retells the story of the redemptive story. Might be something else. Maybe specific, like the call on my life many years ago to leave real estate and to go into full-time ministry. Could be that. Could be a, a, but take the first step and say yes to God and watch God lead you. As Howard Hendricks used to say, God cannot steer an object that is not moving. 
The object has to be moving first. He's not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. Worship team, come on up. God wants to steer a moving object, so go. Say yes to the Lord. What's the first thing the Lord is calling you to do in your marriage, in your life, in your work, in your profession, your friendships? God's going to bring about that calling, and it's going to grow. It's going to be beautiful. He's going to use all your skills and talents in a very exciting way, and it's, it's unique to you because he formed you. Let's pray. So, Father, we are going to come to the communion table, and this is a moment for us to um, say yes to you. And we say yes to you, Jesus, yes to your willingness to lay your life down for us, yes to you affirming us that we were worthy, that you loved us, that you thought of us, and you intended us to come to you, to be redeemed and restored. And so this morning we come to the table, we come to the table to receive the, the bread and the juice that represents the body and the blood of Christ that was shed for us on, on our, our behalf. And he died the death that we should have died so that we could live the life that he now lives in the resurrection state. And so we go with confidence saying yes to God. And, and as we go, I pray, Father, we would also say yes to your yes to, Lord, what else do you have for me? What is it? What are you calling me to do in this moment, in this generation? May I pursue you in a way to hear your voice in Jesus' name. So when you're ready, I encourage you to step out and uh, take communion and come back to your seats, and then we're going to worship the Lord one last time. you all stand some of you are getting communion and some of you are ready to worship with us
that we can even move forward in faith because you are the only one that can replace fear with love, with anxiety, with peace. So Lord, this morning, would you empower us again to know who we are in you so that we may do the things that you've called us to do. Let's sing that again together in full surrender to God. Full surrender to the most beautiful and loving, caring will for our lives. I'm no longer. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer. I'm no written on our hearts this morning and throughout the week, God, that we are known by you, we are seen by you, we are loved by you, sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. May that empower us to go forward and do your will. We love you. We honor your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week. If you're a mom, come to our worship night on Thursday night at Casey Waddell's house. If you know what, don't know what the address is, come to me. I'll be up here and I'll let you know. Bless you guys.